As we've been going through this series in 1 Timothy, it's been real work for me to kind of go through back and think about my own calling and what God has done in my life and what he hopefully is still doing in my life. Man down, we're okay. And often I repeat here as we're closing, I did it last Sunday and I remember early in my, in my uh, faith walk, and many of you know I gave my life to the Lord at 27 years old, so didn't really know anything about the Bible, but there were certain scriptures that would come to me that were told to me early on, didn't have anybody disciple me really, so I was kind of learning it, but you'd hear things along the way. And Romans 10 was one of those. Romans 10 in eight through 13, but often I, I, I say that at the end of a service or when we present the gospel for someone to accept Christ. But you know, one of the things is, is that sometimes I don't think there's enough emphasis. We almost say it in passing. I almost said, well, just try to catch those who maybe is kind of thinking about this whole Christianity thing, and maybe they'll say this prayer at the end, and that will work. And I'm not saying it doesn't work. It's like people say, you don't preach on hell because you don't want to make people fearful. All I know is the night I gave my life to the Lord, I was afraid I was dying and going to hell. Fortunately, I didn't stay in fear. Quickly, I flipped it the other way and realized that Christ had called me to this tremendous life that I could live out that talks about in John 10, 10. I didn't stay motivated by fear, but fear got me in. So I don't know how everybody gets in. What's, what I love, I've heard somebody say before, if you just use the Bible, how many ways are there for people to come to Christ? If you just use the Bible, and man, there's a lot. Some got knocked off their horse. There's a lot of ways, and I mean in that sense, but coming to Christ, how you get there, and there's stories all throughout this room here. And they're not all, well, I raised a hand at a revival or I came to an altar and prayed. It's not all the same. Mine was at exit 199 on I-30 in New Boston, Texas. I gave my life to the Lord. There was no altar. There was fear. I was telling my wife, I'm dying and going to hell. And she kept saying, you're a good man. You're a good man. No, you're not. And she didn't say, oh, yeah, you're probably right. You, good men don't just get into heaven. <laughs> She's just like. She wasn't helping. And if you know my wife, she's a peacemaker, so she didn't want to confront me in that moment that I really was going to hell without Christ. She would rather let me. That's how much she hates confrontation. <laughs> uh. But this passage... I want to read it and hopefully end today with it again as we continue our series in 1 Timothy. I love this, the way it starts in Paul's writing. The word is near you. The word. Logos, the word. Jesus. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, let me clarify this, as he would say, the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, I say that often. I say that many times, try to make sure, man, boy, just in case before we get out of here, we're trying to hurry. I better just throw that in there just in case somebody does that real quick. If I'm not careful, it's done with the right heart, but in some ways, though, it can be very shallow. Because it means, if you declare meaning, speaking to a conclusion. Declare means, I have come to the conclusion and I agree. 
have come to the conclusion, after all this journey and everything I've walked, I've come to the conclusion, and I agree, I declare. That's a little bit more than just passing it by, tossing it out there in case we catch somebody. That I declare with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. In other words, your desire, your decision maker. Literally, heart there is the center of our being. It's what makes us tick. It is the fountain seat of thoughts and passions and desires and appetites and affections and purposes and endeavors. That is what that means. So you can't just toss that out. And we wonder sometimes why people's faith is so shallow. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone, this is important now though, please hear this, anyone who believes in him, Jesus, will never be put to shame. Anybody need that? Everybody, somebody needs that, needs to know you will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That should be a word of encouragement. That should be a word of caution. That should be a word of, in, of great hope. That should be a word of great examination. When I stood before that little Baptist church, not little, I shouldn't say little, there's more people than in here today. That Baptist church there in Hooks, Texas, publicly the declaring the giving my life to Christ, I thought in that moment, there's a lot of thoughts went through my head, but one of the thoughts that went that through, through my head that, that day, I gave my life to the Lord the night before, then went public the next day, next morning, just fortunately it was just Saturday and Sunday, it worked out pretty good for me, but as I stood there, the main thing I was concerned about was sealing my destiny after I die. That's really what I was trying to do right then. I was just trying to make sure that what I was saying the night before really wasn't going to be a reality, that if I died today or I die 100 years or 50 years or 70 years, whatever that is, I was going to heaven. That was my biggest decision there. That's what I was trying to accomplish, and I believe I did accomplish that. Oh, that's all I was trying to do. But what I found out was I wasn't just choosing. I was choosing the path. I was choosing a direction. I was choosing a destination for my life. There was a calling on my life. And guys that who are in the retreat this weekend, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to preach loud today because I know some of you are really sleepy, just so I know. Those who are at the teen retreat, I'll preach really loud for you, especially if you want me to, I'll just walk over your direction some just to kind of... I didn't know that in that moment but that I was going to need to be a new husband. The reason why Jan brought us to church because there was a void of leadership. Well, fortunately, it wasn't a void of leadership because she led. But there was a void of male leadership in the home to lead his family to church. Men. Men. I hear a lot of times in our culture, well, women shouldn't be able to do it. Women shouldn't. There's a void of men stepping up. Come on. That's why. Thank goodness for our women who have led their families to, to Christ. Come on, men. We can. God's called us. 
I didn't know I had a new destination as a father in that moment. I didn't know that my workplace now was a new destination, a calling on my life. I didn't know somewhere along the way he was actually going to, eight months later, call me actually to preach. I didn't know that at some point he was going to call me to, to go into full-time ministry. I didn't know, but these callings kept coming. The number one calling was, follow me. That's the number one calling. I am convinced that it is absolutely impossible to keep living life the same if you embrace God's calling on your life. The implications are staggering and they are life altering. All I gotta do is pick this thing up and read about people who followed Jesus when he called them. And there ain't nothing the same about them. It was life-altering, game-changer, life-altering, never-be-the-same-again kind of moment. Everything was different from that point on. The lens they looked through was different from that point on. It's never the same again. So a call on life, that's the reason why we're talking about Timothy, this call, this, uh, this whole passage of Scripture is about the call. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. So 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 16, let's read it as again as a refresher. Should be on the screen, if not on your tablet or Bible, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity until I come devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching, to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let me just give us a little refresher real quick, if I can. Just a reminder that the word set fundamentally means becoming. In other words, set an example. Become an example, and you are becoming. In other words, many of you know our saying around here, we are transformed, and we are being transformed. We're both. So set this example, but the example, the word example here is I, 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 I got a little more into it than I normally do, but it is that pounding. The word means to blow, to make a continuous repetition of blow, like you're stamping something. It's like a die, and you're stamping it, and you're stamping, and it's repetition over and over. Live a life in such a way that over and over in repetition, because the way you're living, you're leaving an imprint people around you a blow a blow day after day you're setting that example that carries such weight for their life goes on to say do not neglect in other words he's saying don't live like you don't care do not neglect your gift don't act like you don't care about what God has given you devote Yourselves. In other words, he's saying give full attention, set a course, and then keep to that course. As I said to you when I started preaching, I love this passage of Scripture. It's why I camped out on it many months ago and knew I'd be preaching it at some point because the imagery, I love the fact of this getting on that path and, man, making sure that nothing gets you off the path. I love that image of that blow of pound. I'm going to continue to live my life in such a way that leaves a stamp, that leaves a mark. Paul goes on to say in this, my interpreter was reading this, 
He literally means to fan the flame. I love that. I was working out here at Arise the other night, or working, but, but keeping the fires going. They got a couple around the campus and the one out front. It looked like it was almost out, literally. It just with some glow in the bottom. And I love the fact you just go home long and blow on it, but actually I just used the, the poker, and all of a sudden the thing goes, woof. It's amazing. Some of you are running from the pokers. <laughs> Hear me. Some of you are pushing back on the very thing God is using to stir up the fire again. You think it's hurting and God is doing something in your life. God is stirring something up. God's awakening. God's relighting the fire. I'd say embrace the pokers. Embrace it. What's God doing in my life right now? That I somehow or another think that he is so far away from me. Somehow or another he has forgotten me. And a matter of fact, he is doing something else at the same time. Even when I can't see it, you're working. Every walk of life... Every person is called with equal depth and equal commitment. You may not have equal responsibility in some ways as far as it, but you do have that. But I believe the calling to follow Christ, the root of it, is the the call to follow after him. And please hear me on this part. And I I I, I always hesitate on this, but I just want you to hear me. I was a layman for six years before I went into the ministry full-time. Okay, so I've not always done the full-time ministry thing. I mean, I know what it's like to work 50, 60 hours. I know what it's like to drive 15 miles each way. I know what it's like to have a spouse who works full-time. I know what it's like to have kids. I taught, Sunday, I taught adult Sunday school and taught Wednesday night to the youth and adult Sunday school on Sunday morning. I was on the church board, and you say, well, there's something wrong with you. Probably probably. But what I'm saying is this, I know what that's like and not getting paid for it, not get, but doing what I believe. By the way, I always, I always taught an adult Sunday. I don't think I've never taught besides a few weeks here and there, never taught teen Sunday school. As long as I was a youth pastor, never taught student Sunday school back when we did Sunday school that way. Never taught it. And the reason was I didn't want to be around them anymore. That was part of it. No, just not. That is actually not true. The reason I did it was one, that was the place I could be in front of their parents. The parents would come to my Sunday school class so I could speak the same thing in both places. Secondly, it was where I recruited adult leaders. I didn't just get off the turnip. I know what, I, my num, one of my number one strength finders is strategy. That was one of my strategies, okay? I didn't even know a strength finder back then, just thought it made sense, but let me say this. The depth of commitment is the same for all of us. Responsibility is different. Callings will look different. All those kind of things. But the depth, the depth. In this passage of Scripture, I want to just camp on for a few minutes here today is, this, is verse 15, and I'm only going to do half of that verse. But Paul is saying, to Timothy saying, be diligent in these matters. In other words, what I just talked to you about, these things I just described to you, I need you to be diligent in that. Give yourself wholly to them. In other words, the things I just talked about. <laughs> the thing, because if we go all the way back, he said, set an example on what? In speech, in conduct, in purity, in faith, in love. In other words, those things plus the calling plus all, yeah, all those things, th- those things there. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, those matters. As I broke this down again, again, the imagery here is, is diligent here means to devise a plan. In other words, you need to figure out. So so many of us in our Christian walk meander our way through. If it happens to us, whippy. If it doesn't, well, that's God's fault because he didn't make it happen. 
He's telling Timothy, if you're gonna live, what you gotta devise a plan. You, you gotta figure this out. You gotta get some strategy behind this. You gotta put yourself, you gotta discipline yourself to, for this to begin to be lived out. And the word holy here translates out purpose. But not just purpose, but being absorbed by the purpose, like you're a sponge. Like, this, like the purpose God has given you, the calling on your life. How many of you believe God works with a purpose? I don't even believe God stutters. I believe when God speaks, we need to listen. I believe God moves for a great purpose. And what he is saying is, I have made you for a purpose. Be absorbed by it. Be absorbed by this purpose. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do not win a prize that will fade. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So run, so I run, so I run with a purpose in every step. I love that. Paul says, I run with a purpose in every step. I don't waste steps. I don't talk about things that don't matter. I don't, I don't give my time to things that don't matter. That every step is to set for the purpose that has been set before me. Set a course. I am just, I am not just shadow boxing. In other words, NIV would say, I'm not like a man beating the air. Can you imagine being, going and fighting someone and all you're doing is, is many of you know the old Fred Sanford, Sanford and Son, when he would want to fight somebody, it'd be this, that's what I picture. That's not it. I don't want to be like a man just beating the air. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, and this is, we'll get into this in a few weeks, otherwise I fear that after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. Now that's a whole different sermon. Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame, just so we read earlier. Shame, you have no place here. You have no place here. And sat down at the right heart hand of the throne of God. He is our advocator. He is our defense lawyer. He is there speaking to God about us. Let me ask you a question today. If you looked at your life today and you began, and I'm going to tell you, I'm not perfect in this. As I said earlier, I'm transformed and I'm being transformed. So I don't have all this figured out. So don't come here, don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't have it all figured out, but I'm a whole lot further along than I used to be. But now I got new things I got to overcome, new things that are now in front of me, new things now that God couldn't show me before because they were way too big. Now I can now begin to look at them because I've dealt with those things through his faith and, through, and, and making a plan and devoting myself to it. And Paul said, I disciplined my body as an athlete. Paul talks about, I trained myself unto godliness. Let me ask you a question. Do you have in your life right now this question? Does this help me run the race set before me? Is what I'm putting my hand to and my time to and my eyes to and my mouth to, and does it help me run the race set before me? Wow. 
I love what Paul says. He doesn't say, I meander. He said, I run. The writer of Hebrews, let us run. Another question I have for you, are you hanging out with people who will hold you accountable to the course that's been set before you? That's why I think community is so critical. Are you hanging out with people who hold you accountable to the course that's been set before you? With people who love you but are not impressed by you, who have your best interest at heart, who are your greatest encourager but also greatest truth tellers. Here's some signs maybe you need some accountability. One is, do you have endless interruptions? You start something, you stop. You start something, you stop. You're always just, there's always these endless interruptions in your life. And it just seems to swallow up the real purpose God has for you. Are there minor pursuits that really, again, you, you, that entangle you a little bit? That you, and it could even be, and we all know, it, and then I, I, I'm, I'm first to admit at times it's too easy to check on, you know, bleacher report for something. It's too easy to, all of a sudden, I get my mind off way over here, and I look at them. I've spent more time chasing things that really, at the end of the day, entangled me, don't really help me. No matter how much I know about the Arkansas Razorbacks football, basketball, baseball, whatever, and how much I know about the Las Vegas Raiders and how much I know about the St. Louis Cardinals, I'm not going to play a minute for any of them this year, just so you know, and probably not even coach for them. In other words, it's going to happen and whether I'm involved or not. Now, I'm not saying anything's bad about checking on things. I'm not trying to say that there's not things that you can look at and be encouraged about. But for me, it's been part of my family. It's the reason why I love sports so much because it's about relationships. It's way more about that. It's about connection. But it can be way out of bounds. Way out of bounds. To commit, to commit to something, to say I'm all in and I'm not going to let these things get me off course and surround myself. I mean, I don't know if you know, for Timothy, I've told you the first week, you know, there were some challenges Timothy had because he was biracial. His mom was Jewish, his dad was Greek. Guess what? Timothy had to get circumcised to go with Paul. Can you imagine that conversation? Hey, Timothy. We need to talk. Because Paul actually pushed back on those kind of things. And you can see in Scripture, but here comes Timothy. And he goes, Timothy, I'm going to take you with you. You're going to be my right-hand man. But there's some things that's going to slow us down. Matter, matter of fact, they may not even let us in because they think I'm carrying, running with a heathen. So guess what I'm going to ask you to do? I'd say Timothy was all in. Any of you got any spiritual dullness or rut? I realize there are certain things in our lives that happen to us that we have no choice in. It even can be a victim of something. I realize all that, and, and I've had some of it myself, but, but have watched it and listened, and, and there's nothing you could have done about it. But there's also, there, when we get into ruts, though, into spiritual dullness, most of the time it's because we've dug that hole. Okay, we've dug that rut. For whatever reason, we got off course. Whatever reason, we didn't continue to devise a plan. And we, we got off course. And that's the reason why it's so great to have accountability around us, to keep us, to ask us those questions, to kind of keep us back on course. A Baptist pastor used to say a rut is a grave with both ends kicked out. I think he heard it somewhere else, but, but it's kind of that. You get in this rut. What did Paul say? Devote yourselves. Give full attention. Fan the flame. 
Stir it up. And the last one I would put in here is repeated procrastination. Procrastination kills the dreams God has for us. And procrastination, I'm not even going to talk about specifically to your call sometimes, even though they all affect. For instance, if I procrastinate being trying to, at least trying the best I can to be in good health, I have bumped the purpose for God in my life. I can be a decent preacher and not be trying to take care of my health, and I, have, and I am in some ways infringing on the purpose God has for me. So please hear what I'm saying. You've put off some things. And the main thing many of us put off is, is our full commitment to Christ. I get that. But it affects everything. As I said earlier, there is nothing that's not touched by the call of God on our lives. There's nothing. Your emotions, your, 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 your decisions, your, 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 as far as relationships, as far as finances, as far as where you work or how you at least go to work. Everything's affected. Your health, what you put in your mouth should have some thought around this. Not, again, I'm not saying don't have some pleasures, but they should have some thought. But you've procrastinated in that procrastination. You don't feel very good now. And you don't, well, I want to feel good the best I can. And when I continue to contaminate in some ways, I'm sucking energy out of what God may want me to do. It's all connected. You can't separate it. There is no, <laughs> there is no social life. I have a social life and I have a spiritual life. No, you just have a spiritual life. That's all you got. And it goes everywhere you go. And it affects everything you do. We've got to quit separating them. But I love what, and a lot of this we've got to identify. There's some things, that, you know, identify what's the triggers. There's a lot of different things. For me, one of my triggers when I'm not eating healthy specifically is tired and getting home late and thinking I should be rewarded for something. I have no idea what that reward is for, but I've been out saving the world all day and I need to have whatever I'm about to eat at 10 o'clock at night. Terrible concept. I love what Seth Godin says, tomorrow comes daily, but we don't have to take the same route to get there. Tomorrow comes daily, but we got a choice today to, take what, to know what route we're going to take to get there. And one of the biggest gaps in significant relationships, especially marriages, things of that nature, is not agreeing on where we're headed. What is the course we're setting? What is the course we're on? But I, that happens to churches, too, that many people come in and think we should be on this course and that course and that course, and all of a sudden you look up, and there is this fraction. A call for a local church is to obviously to lift up Jesus, but sometimes it's very specific. Very specific of what that church is supposed to be doing. It's not supposed to do everything, but there are specifics. They may come in and go, well, I want you to do this, this, and this. Well, that's, that church over there is doing that and doing a great job. We're called to this. First Timothy 2, 20-22 says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who clean themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Special purposes, uncommon. Well, you'll hear that word a lot around here if you're new. Uncommon. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. Some of you need to stop trying to stop, and you need to start pursuing I think there are many years we built, even in our, in our tribe of the Church of the Nazarene at times, we built our mentality around things we stopped doing. 
It never was about stopping, even though you will stop as a byproduct. It is about pursuing. It is all about pursuing after righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. To pursue, to flee. Bad boy, bad boy, what you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you? You flee. Flee from it and pursue righteousness. And do it with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. Surround yourself with people who are going the same direction you are. Here's the thing I want to make sure of, and I said this a few weeks ago. I don't want to look up. I know some people are comfortable with other people when they're 25, and they just want them. And they, I've looked up, and there are people who are in their 40s and 50s that still look like they did when they were 25 inside. I want people to grow with me. I'm going somewhere. I'm headed somewhere. I want to surround myself with people who are going where I'm headed and surround my. I don't want people to keep me back there because that's where they're comfortable. But where they're comfortable. No, 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 no. I'm going there. I want to marry somebody who's going there. I'm not sure where there is yet. I don't have that defined. But man, I want to know that you are with me and living into my capacity and your capacity and our capacity. That's who I want to hang out with. And that's the reason why I don't look around trying to carry dead weight. You've heard me say a hundred times here, I'll minister to anyone. Anyone. I don't care what they've done, where they've been, what they'll do. But I choose my influencers very, very carefully. When I was 25, maybe I did, I could carry some hanger owners. It's 60. I ain't got no time to do that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, that's not what I'm looking for. Becoming a disciple of Christ. I hear people often say, even about going to church or whatever it may be, or can I be a Christian and really still not follow Christ that closely, but because I've done this, can I be a Christian and really not attend a, being a part of a community? Can I be a Christian? And well, it's kind of like me, somebody asked me, can I be a parent without ever being in the home? Can I be a parent? I mean, just start think, playing that out a little bit. It really doesn't make much sense. Yeah, you were there at conception. Okay, I get that. It doesn't make any sense. Sure, sure I guess if you want to risk that, I, I guess maybe, maybe you could. But let me say this. Christianity is about... And its whole essence is not a devotion to a creed. It's not a devotion to a local church. It's not a devotion. It is a devotion to a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And through that, there is a presence that lives, should be living in you and those you're connected to. That's who you're committed to. Now, you can work out the rest of it. I think if you start committing yourselves there, you will find out that one of your practices is being a part of a community. I do believe that. I believe Scripture will back that up. So what does it mean to be a disciple? Here's a few things before we get out of here today. One is do what Jesus said. I guess I could close the thing up and we go home, right? Just, just do what Jesus said. Why do we complicate it so much? Just do what he said. But Kurt, I don't know what he said. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. Kurt, I figure if you, most of you want to live on secondhand religion. You want to keep yourself close enough to people who are in tune. And, and, and for you, you just go, well, if God wants me to know something, he'll tell Pastor Kurt to preach it this Sunday, this Sunday that I'm there. <laughs> what if the Sunday you were supposed to hear it, you didn't show up? Or my wife, God will tell my wife. He'll tell my wife, if I need to know something, he'll tell her. I'm just very fortunate. 
I became a Christian, not only did I have the opportunities I shared last week to read the Bible a lot at my workplace because of where I worked, it was an unbelievable blessing, but in 1986, a book came out by Max Lucado called No Wonder They Call Him the Savior. Changed my life. So I got to know Jesus. Get to know Jesus, then begin to figure out what he said to do, then start trying to do it. But one of the things I think you'll have to do in order to be able to do that, you'll have to, as Dallas Willard said, the first thing is, is abandonment or consecration. We use in church, and we, we talk the word here, consecration, but abandonment. And what he means by abandonment is no part of your life is held back from God any longer. You have now put everything on the table. Everything's on the table. We begin to live in this unbelievable reality that we can trust God. What a concept. That if I really laid everything down, are you kidding me? If I lay all my relationships, I lay all everything that I've got about me, if I lay my past and my future and my present and my finances and, and my, all, if I, my job, if I laid it all down, I can trust God? Hello. That means you too. God has a great purpose for you. He believes in you. There's not a time you start. Well, maybe there is, but you're well past that. He believes in you now. He's not waiting for you to grow up so you can be 25 and, and, and ignoring then. It's now. It, it's right now. And you're valued in the kingdom now. As I've said before, decisiveness brings power. And I'll say this. When you reach a point where you quit grumbling all the time and complaining about what God has or hasn't done, it begins to set you free. When you're content and you trust him. And there will be a point someday where it will seem like a far distant country. I used to live that self-focused and self-centered and self-whatever. Everything was about me. A couple of others. Learn how to live in areas with no specific command. Teenagers, you probably won't find a dating manual. Young adults, college students, you probably won't find a dating manual specifically to 2020. 2020. Learn to read scripture. Begin to hear God's voice in places that he, don't, he doesn't speak specifically. Matter of fact, in your calling, I couldn't find in there anywhere, Kurt, go preach. I, I think there's one scripture in there that says Jesus was Kurt. I doubt there's any in there that says Jesus was Kent or Jesus was Dan. Jesus was Kurt once, though. But the bigger question is, will Kurt try to be like Jesus? That's really the question, right? A calling, the simple tugging. The, then you begin to ask God, and you want to be obedient. He sees your heart. And I believe, we, we've said this before, and again, I have, cannot back this up in Scripture, so you do what you want to with it. But there are times, I believe, if I'm chasing after God, I might miss exactly what he said. But if I'm chasing after him with the fullness and the desire to see people come into the kingdom and the desire to follow after him, I think he's going to go, look at my boy. He's a knucklehead, and he can't hear a doggone thing, but man alive, is he running hard after that. He is chasing after me, and he wants people to know me. That part I see. 
When Jan and I moved to Arizona, it started a year before, and we knew God had released us in 1996 to move to Arizona in our church in Texarkana. And I remember going and fasting and praying, and I was telling God, because uh, we had turned down an opportunity to go to Ohio, and, 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 and thank goodness that I turned that down, because I really don't like the Buckeyes. But anyway, uh, <laughs> and I know there's some fans in here, but that wasn't the reason why I turned it down. But I knew God had told me to stay in Texarkana, but I'd been praying, God, you know this youth group in Texarkana needs a new leader. I somehow know that they need a new leader. Need another. And, and, and as I was praying and fasting over a few days, and he goes, you're right, it's you. Ooh, I almost fell off. He said, you're right, it's you. You need to change. What I'm doing in you and where I'm taking you, you need to be different. And I stayed another year, and then God, through different circumstances, through opportunities to go to Kansas City and Africa and a lot of different things, we ended up in Arizona. But by fasting and praying and seeking. You know that one decision, and I don't mean this as a pat on the back because I had no clue. It's kind of like saying, I'd like to be bragging that I'm one. I had nothing to do with that, just so you know. This really has nothing, but out of making that decision, there are between 40 and 50 people in Arizona today, specifically, who are in their churches committed to the Lord and helping spread the gospel that were not here then. Because we made it, the six of us made a decision to move to Arizona. Out of that, another 40 people came from Texarkana. Friend, you've got ripples of your life. And it is time to say, I'm in. It is time to say, devote myself wholly. No longer neglecting, fanning the flame. (laughs) The call is on all of us. Number one, to follow him. And then let him figure out the rest of it. But learn to do what Jesus said. To act And listen to his voice and act where he doesn't speak specifically. And the last one is, learn how to act with power. There's no power without the presence, folks. Begin to pray. Begin to give financially of time, begin to invest and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to indwell and fill you. And, you know, the the vacuum, something's going to fill that vacuum. Let the power and the presence of God begin to let you step into places. Folks, I was scared to death. There's times there's callings. I know I'm late, so uh, there's no invitation. Just I, we're going to (laughs) pray. Because we're going to do it over these next few weeks. There are times you choose to be involved in a calling. What I mean by that is you marry somebody. You have children. <laughs> You're now called to lead them and lead your home and be that godly father and those, or mother, whatever that case may be. But then times, sometimes the calling chooses you. I would have never called to preach. I would have never signed up to go preach. There's not any part of me that wanted that part. I hear people say, well, sometimes when they talk about ministry, well, you, you chose to do that. No, I didn't. I didn't choose. I would have never chosen this. There's not any part of it I would have chosen. I was a pretty awesome layman. Still looking for some now. Take my place. No, I'm just kidding. But I did. I, I invested. I, I didn't want to do this. I believe God called me to do this. I don't know how to explain that. So when he called me to preach, again, I've said before, I was the guy in in college, what little I went, I took a speech class, and when I found out that you're really going to have to give a speech, I dropped the class. And that's a fact. You can go look, North Lake Community College in Irving, Texas. You can go look, dropped it. 1983, 84. I hated it. But when I knew it, I began to try to walk in it. Even though I threw up every time. I have missed speaking engagements because I was throwing up so bad. And that's the truth. But I kept walking with every step a purpose. Knowing 
I was called. Didn't know where it was going to take me. Didn't know it was going to take me around the world. Didn't know it was going to have influence on all my kids. Didn't even have all my kids. Only had one at the time. I didn't know, but I knew this. God had called. Number one calling is follow me. That you declare with your mouth and believe in your heart changes everything. Why don't you stand with me and we close in prayer today. Lord, we just come before you today knowing that our one decision we make, that decision to follow you has disruptive disruptive effects on our life. We should never, ever be the same again. Lord, I pray as we go through this series, we will talk about next week, Lord, this tremendous call for us to chase after you. Help us, Lord, this week, take a baby step. Maybe there's something we've been procrastinating that's hindering us from really following after you. We deal with that. We begin to look at it, identify it, speak it to someone else, write it down, put it on a note. Maybe it's a pointless pursuit of something that eats up our time. We put that on a card. We, we tell somebody whatever that put it on our phone where it reminds us <clears throat> half a dozen times, something, Lord, to say, I am devising a plan to devote myself <clears throat> to the course that has been set before me and I have been hindered, encumbered, entangled, and I am no longer going to allow that to keep me from running the race. And I do it, Lord, not because I want to earn your love. It's because I love you so much because I can't earn it. But, man, because of what you have done on the cross, I can, I can tell you how much I love you. So that's how I'm going to live this week. It won't be perfect, but you already know that. But Lord, turn my heart to you. We love these folks here. Thank you for those who may be new today. And Lord, I just pray that they will use this time, and this, whether it's the only time we ever meet them, on this side of heaven. Lord, that you'll use even this day and this word to be a help to their journey. And Lord, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Everyone said, amen. God bless you. Love you. And go have an uncommon week in his name.